0: You're listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. The Mad River Valley includes Duxbury, Faston, Moortown, Waitsfield, and Warren, Vermont, as well as the Sugarbush Resort and Mad River Glen Resort, and today's guest has played a major role in their development. My guest has received numerous awards for his work, including the Vermont Ski Areas Association Lifetime Achievement Award in recognition of his leadership and contribution to the Vermont ski industry. The National Ski Areas Association Sales and Marketing Award recognizing Mad River Glen's use of social media to promote skiing. The North American Snowsports Journalists Association's Bob Gillen Award for Achievement in Snowsports Public Relations and Communications the National Ski Areas Association Sales and Marketing Award, which recognized the Mad River Glen's Kids Free Pass program, and he was recognized as the Mad River Valley Rotary Club's Person of the Year. Currently the Executive Director of the Mad River Valley Chamber of Commerce in Waitsfield, Vermont, it is my pleasure to introduce Eric Friedman. Welcome to the show, Eric.
1: Thanks, Marshall. Great to be here.
0: Let's see where I want to start. I... Take it from all of the awards that you've received that you have a passion for skiing. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. I've been skiing since I was two years old, growing up in New Jersey. uh, I didn't realize until much later on in life that not every kid from New Jersey skied four days a week, but I did when I was a little kid and uh, have an intense passion for it, and it's kind of directed me in my life. Did
0: Did your parents ski?
1: My father was a very avid skier and, and my grandfather was as well, which is pretty uncommon for like a Jew, for Jewish people from Newark. But it's uh, yeah, my father was a volunteer ski patrolman and for many years and I uh, said I was brought up skiing uh, every single weekend and going up and racing on Tuesday and Thursday nights in New Jersey. And uh, being I started being on the racing team when I was six, seven years old.
0: Well that answers my next question. I was going to say do you do cross country skiing but it seems like you do competitive skiing or do or do you do do you do I, both?
1: No, I did competitive skiing all the way through high school. I now cross country ski and backcountry ski quite a bit because we can go right out my door here in Vermont and do that. But I am a decidedly alpine skier.
0: What role does the ski industry take in the Mad River Valley? Is the economy dependent on the ski industry?
1: You know, it's interesting knowing the history of it. This was a very depressed area. Um, very much a rural farming community before the advent of the ski industry in the late 40s and early 50s. And as the ski industry grew, the Mad River Valley, as well as all of the other ski related communities in Vermont and throughout New England, became more and more dependent upon it. It's absolutely an important part of it. I'm really glad to say that while the wintertime, it's still very, very important and it drives the economy locally, we're a much more diverse community economically today than we were, you know, even 20 or 30 years ago. So the summer business here is uh, is every bit as good as it is in the winter. Uh, a little bit different, different people, different demographics, but we're much more well-rounded economically.
0: Since you did start skiing when you were a little kid and uh, all of the uh, events that you've taken hard in, you're obviously a, a very knowledgeable skier. My skiing history verges on the, the novice. I started on wooden skis with bear trap clamps and I really never moved up to the, today's uh, technology. But yep. you've been involved in several skiing endeavors, including, and I don't know if this still is... Uh, taking place but the alpine zone ski area challenge is that still in existence can you oh yeah Al-
1: that's funny that you found that the alpine zone is uh, is one of the older online ski communities and i've participated reluctantly over the years with it it's amazing how much the online community has how important it is to the ski industry and how it's really changed the ski industry in a lot of ways
0: what was your role or is your role in that do you answer questions what do you do there
1: i was just on it as a you know as a member of that ski community and i did so more out of uh necessity than anything else it's not something that i you know i would say i sorry enjoy but it's really important and as a way to communicate with the with the with the outer world of skiing uh and it's it's very popular and and i think i took a very different approach to Talking to those people, as opposed to many of my colleagues in the ski industry, I think I've always had a very different take on promoting skiers and promoting skiing than my colleagues had initially. What's kind of gratifying is that you hang around long enough and you see things change, and I think the industry really gravitated to what I was doing, which was unusual at the time, but isn't today.
0: I said I started out with wooden skis, and and I'm really a novice in the audiences that is Uh listening to this show. As a matter of fact, I may know the term bunny slope or something. That's probably where I belong. (laughs) But the Mad River Glen has been described as New England's telemark mecca. What, for the people, including myself who don't know what telemark is what is telemark
1: telemark skiing is kind of a throwback to the way skiing used to be it's it's a di- it's just different kind of equipment it's a free heel like that like a cross-country ski is as you know so you can lift your heel up uh and you make a different kind of a turn and it's what's called a telemark turn and in the early days of skiing in the you know. Early, in the modern era, early days of skiing, in the early 20th century, when skiing became a recreational sport as opposed to just transportation, uh, you know, as opposed to transportation, that's what the skis were like. And with the advent of stiffer boots and, uh, and heavier boots and uh, bindings that were more secure, telemark skiing sort of went away. And then in the 1970s and 80s, it really started coming back in pockets. And it was something that was really a big thing at Mad River Glen because a lot of those people enjoyed it because it was a good way of get, of getting into the backcountry. By having a free heel, you can it's more like a cross-country ski, so you can go up with, with climbing skins. You can go up. And because of the nature of Mad River Glen's terrain, it was something that people were into. Interestingly, nowadays, over the last 10 years or so, toe has really gone away again because of the fact that Alpine touring equipment has progressed to the point where you can have hard plastic boots and have a free heel that you can, in turn, when you get to the top, lock down. And there is a reason that you know, skiing went the way that it did and, and went away from toe mark because you know, having a fixed heel and having good stiff plastic boots really made skiing a lot easier for people so things keep changing
0: telemark is not a competitive sport
1: uh it is there's some there's it's in a very esoteric way um there are people that do compete in telemark ski racing but it's a pretty esoteric sport
0: and are the skis different from cross-country skis Uh, how how exactly
1: they're, they're wider they're wider they're more like a conventional alpine ski yeah, that's basically it. And, you know, people put skins on them so they can go uphill with them. So
0: the advantage would be that you could go up a hill easier with Telemark than you could with cross-country skis?
1: Well, more than, more as opposed to Alpine. Cross-country skiing is more up and down, you know, uh, you know, undulating kind of terrain. And what most people are doing now is they're going up a mountain to, for the purpose of skiing down it. Cross-country skis are not fun to go downhill
0: on. My experience with that, I was in cross-country skiing in Michigan, and we got off the trail somehow, and we ended up on a downhill ski slope way at the top. And I asked one of the skiers there, is this the cross-country trail? And he goes, oh, no, this is Big Chief Mountain. Or, you know." <laughs> and I really didn't want to go down. On that, Although I had a neighbor who went downhill on cross-country skis, but that's another story. Yes, uh, it, it's, it's certainly thrilling. What geography does the Mad River Valley comprise?
1: Well, the Mad River Valley is is pretty much dead center in the middle of the state. We're about at 20 minutes west of the capital of Montpelier. We are, as the name suggests, it is a, it is a river valley. The Mad River runs from the mountains into uh, the Winooski River, which lets out in Burlington area, into Lake Champlain. The Mad River Valley encompasses the watershed in the towns that you mentioned. The river starts in, in way up high in the mountains of Warren and travels through uh, Waitsfield and Moortown, and like I said, into the confluence with the Winooski River further downstream. And so the Mad River Valley, while most people think of it as Warren, Waitsfield, and Faistin, we also include Moortown because it is part of the watershed, uh, and Duxbury nominally as well. But Moortown and Duxbury are kind of the there's no town centers. There's not a lot of commerce going on in either one of those towns, so we're sort of the forgotten, and I live in Moretown, so we're sort of the forgotten towns sometimes. And I think that what's interesting and unique about the geography here is that we're all very much tied together by the river, and Waitsfield is our collective downtown. Warren has a small village, but Waitsfield is the commerce center of the valley. And So I think that while we have separate towns with separate schools, uh, elementary schools, we are very much tied together by the river and bound by the mountains uh, that form the valley. And we have a real good collective spirit and sense of community here um, that it's not town by town, which is somewhat unique in Vermont. The Mad River Valley, for example, had the first multi-town planning district in the United States that started back in the 1970s. There's a, a collective sense of community that is unique.
0: Is this collective sense related to the Mad River Glen Cooperative? No, I
1: think that the, the Mad River Glen Cooperative in the ski area, I think, epitomizes that sense of community in many ways. I think that from someone that was very involved in Mad River Glen in the, in the, in for 24 years and was there from the day that the co-op started, I don't think it would have happened in a lot of other places and I think that the sense of community that we have here and the closeness of it enabled the Matter River Glen cooperative to succeed. How
0: exactly does the cooperative work? Because I, I'm only familiar with cooperatives in urban Yeah. Areas. So, yeah,
1: and they're not, and they're not, and they're not very different. Uh, They're not very different from a, from a food co-op or an electrical co-op or an insurance cooperative or a real estate cooperative. It is a unique vehicle for this, for a ski area. Uh, It's the only cooperatively owned non-for-profit ski area in the United States created by the previous owner of the mountain because she wanted to create a vehicle to sell the ski area to the only people she felt she could trust not to mess it up. And those were the skiers themselves. So she created this idea. There were a couple of iterations of it before it came about. But Betsy Pratt, who was the former owner of Mad River and owned it for 25-odd years, really was a steward of the mountain and wanted to make sure that it didn't get messed up. So she sold it to the skiers themselves. Interestingly, in the mid-'90s, uh, it was a time when the uh, consolidation of the ski industry was just beginning. Companies like the American Ski Company was the first big uh, conglomerative ski areas and which is you know ubiquitous today it was we were really flying in the face of everything that was going on the American Ski Company actually owned Sugarbush which was our neighboring ski area uh, which is just three or four miles down the road the owner of American Ski Company famously offered Betsy Pratt a a check for what was believed to be five million dollars for the ski area And Betsy was a classic, and she smoked a corncob pipe. I'm not making this up. And she took a big drag off of the pipe and blew the smoke in his face and told him exactly where he could stick his check. (laughs) And she then proceeded to turn around the next year, sell the ski area to the skiers for $2.5 million, and she lent us the money with the five-year interest-free note to sell the shares to do it. So she really wanted it to happen. The plan was to sell 2,000 shares of the cooperative, at $1,500 a piece. And the idea of that would be that we'd raise $4 million, that she would get $2.5 million, dollars, and then we'd have a million and a half dollars worth of operating capital to keep the ski area up and running. We had to sell 1,667 shares to pay Betsy off, and she gave us five years to do it. And we sold it in three, paid her off, and kept selling shares. And today we have, I believe it's about 2,300 shares sold to about 1,900 individual people. And it is truly a a democracy and a very, very unique way to run a ski area, especially in this day and age.
0: You mentioned Sugarbush. You you have two rival organizations, I believe, in in your area. The Stowe Area Association and Revitalizing Waterbury. How do you work collaboratively with uh, these organizations?
1: Well, it's a little bit different in that um, Sugarbush Resort is, absolutely part of our community. Mad River Glen and Sugarbush are two ski areas that are very, very different and complement each other beautifully. Sugarbush is a corporately owned resort and has all of the amenities of a big resort, and Mad River is what Mad River is, you know, like so they complement one another beautifully. And you can actually, you know, hike from one to the over to the other only about a mile apart along the long trail, which is the end-to-end hiking trail in Vermont. Uh, and you know, I said about three or four miles drive from, from Mad River over to, to Mount Ellen area of Sugarbush. So we're tied at the hip. The ski areas are tied at the hip and very much both of them very much tied to the, the local community. We are, as I mentioned earlier, directly in the dead center of the middle of the state. Just north of us, if you drive north on fabled Route 100, you'll come to the town of Waterbury, which is famous for Ben and Jerry's ice cream and the Alchemist Brewery. And it's a great community there. And um, there, you know, it's maybe 15 minutes drive from from Waitsfield to Waterbury. And if you keep going north on Route 100 past Waterbury, is the village of Stowe and in in Stowe Mountain Resort, which is up there, and the self-proclaimed ski capital of the east. So the region, that Route 100 corridor, which we like to refer to as the best of Route 100, is what we have in common is outdoor recreation. That's why people come to our region generally. That's why they go to Stowe, and that's why they go to Waterbury. That's why they go to the Mad River Valley. And we've recognized that, and our organizations work together to bring more uh, people to our region, because when we bring more people to our region, all three areas benefit. Uh, and so many of our, uh, you know, when we're at our visitor center in, here in, in the Mad River Valley, people come in and they're they're staying up in Stowe or they're staying in Waterbury. They drive down here. We send people up to Waterbury. We send people to Stowe, among other places in central Vermont. I think that's one of the great things about where we live is that you were right in the middle of the state. and You can be in Burlington in 45 minutes. You can be in Montpelier and Barry in 20 minutes, half hour. Stowe's is just up the road. and there, there's there's lots to do and lots of different things to do, which is nice. So we like to try to work together to to promote the whole region as well as the state generally.
0: I mentioned in my intro that in 2019, you became the executive director of the Mad River Valley Chamber of Commerce. And in your bio, you state that you had to reinvent this position over the past year and a half because of the pandemic. Could you explain some of the changes that needed to be made because of the pandemic.
1: It was a seminal moment for our community, just like it was for um, communities all around the country. Our ski areas, when the pandemic happened, and I remember it distinctly, it was March 17th of 2020. It was a great ski day, and it was you know towards the end of the ski season. And you know the ski areas closed the very next day, and they didn't reopen, which was very unusual. So the local hospitality industry really took it on the chin, um, you know, when the inns and lodges and restaurants had to close up. That's our bread and butter here. And for, you know, the business to just dry up literally overnight was a tough thing. I was hired by the Chamber of Commerce, and I took the position because of my marketing abilities and my abilities to be passionate about talking about our community and encouraging people to come here. And after six or seven months of doing that and uh, the pandemic happens. I got thrust into this new role of being the cheerleader for our community, being the, I got involved in lobbying efforts with the state and federal government. I got involved in being an advocate for our business community, as well as being a um, founding board and almost a counselor. Um, You know, I I do, I have lived here a long time. Um, Most all of the business owners, I knew them personally. I knew their kids. Our kids grew up together having to have conversations with these people calling me up literally in tears over and over again with their businesses and their livelihoods being threatened it really turned what the chamber of commerce was from being a a promote you know promoting our area to coming together to help save our business community and it was a really gratifying thing to be involved in and i am so proud of the fact that this community really pulled together like we always do i think that again it epitomizes what this community is all about
0: i just want to jump to a 2013 film that the mount mansfield media productions produced they did a little mini documentary called almost there yep. and uh for listeners who want to watch this i will put a link to the uh film in the uh, show notes but it's got over 4,000 subscribers that are watching this thing and more than 50,000 views. Basically, it's an unscripted film about the community. The locals call Vermont's Mad River Valley, and they like to add that visitors come to the mountains, but they stay for the valley. Again, I will provide the link for the show. What was the motivation behind this film?
1: It was actually a production of the Chamber of Commerce. We hired, um, and I say we, I was on the, before I was the executive director, I was on the board of the chamber for 12 years and my capacity at Mad River Glen. So if anyone should have known not to take this job, it should have been me. But I decided to do it anyway. We wanted to do something really, really unique. We knew, you know, what we know about our community is that it is not a, um, It's not a contrived place. It is very much a unique, organic kind of a place that has developed over many years with many layers to it. We didn't feel like you could promote it properly in a traditional way. And we wanted to tell the story of what this community is really all about. And I think Mansfield Media did a really, really nice job of articulating what is so special about the matter of River valley and why it's unique and i think that you know one of the things i always hear from you know from people that visit here is that it's so unlike any place else they ever come in the world and that uh there's a deep sense of place to it uh, and the second that you get here you realize like this is just not your typical place it's not it's not money driven people are here because it speaks to them for a number of different reasons. Sure, there are a lot of people that came here for the skiing and came to visit and ended up staying, but there's a lot of people that uh, that's they had no interest in the skiing at all. And everyone is just tied to this community one way or another. And again, I think so much of it is because of that geography and we go back to it uh, and what it's the, it's the ties that bind us. I picked
0: a couple of clips from the movie that I'd like to play and maybe we can comment on them. Um, So let's see if we have uh, a clip from Janice Hurley-Hollis, and she's the director of operations for the Inn at Round Barn Farm. And she opens up with a rather shocking statement. Let's take a listen to it. And I didn't realize what it meant to not have a
1: stoplight until I was in the city. I was stopped at a stoplight for quite some time, and then I realized, you lose a lot of your life sitting at stoplights
0: and that doesn't happen here because we don't have one. So you just live. Is that true? You have no stoplights? Yes.
1: (laughs) I couldn't help but laugh because we don't have a stoplight. And what was funny is, as I mentioned earlier, I live in Moortown. And after Tropical Storm Irene, about a dozen years ago, the bridge got washed out or part of it. And, um, they had to put a light up because it only was open for one-way traffic, so they put a temporary light up, and the community freaked out over it. It was kind of funny. Like, oh, my God, now we have a stoplight, but it was temporary, and fortunately it went away.
0: You also have Route 17. Does yeah. Route 17
1: play a role in the valley? Route 17 is our escape valve west. Route 17 is also known as the McCulloch Turnpike, and it was a dirt road that went up to Mad River Glen and ended at Mad River Glen in the late 40s, and then subsequently was paved and then went up over the top. It was actually a CCC project initially, and it went up over the mountain over what's called Appalachian Gap and down the backside into the town of Lincoln and out towards Burlington. So now it is a state highway, and it is the highest Gap Road in Vermont that's kept open year-round.
0: You also have a lot of family farmers in the film, including Sebastian von yep. Trapp. And there's one guy, Donnie Jocelyn. Yeah.
1: You're going to make he, me cry, Marshall.
0: He was a farmer in the film that had perhaps the only negative view. Let's listen to what he had to say.
1: They all i talking about the view... Deer tracks and scenery make a pretty thin stew. You can't eat the view.
0: Now, in case you had trouble understanding what he said, it was they all talk about the view, but deer tracks and scenery make a pretty thin stew. You can't eat the view. Why would he say that? Are are farmers having a rough time making a living?
1: Well, I think, you know, Donnie, and I said you're going to make me cry on this because Donnie passed away in the last year. And he was a remarkable guy. He grew up in a very poor family that they worked really hard And The Vermont Hill farms were always a tough way to make a living. When he passed away in the last year, he was still living in a house without plumbing, with very limited electricity. And he had his farm. It was unarguably one of the most beautiful pieces of real estate in the entire state of Vermont which is a pretty damn nice state. Yeah, people would always walk along on his road and say, oh, my God, you're so lucky to live here. You have this view. It's incredible. But Donnie was a real true classic Vermonter, and I think it was like, a real hard scrabble existence for him growing up. But I think what was really interesting about him is that how the people that moved here, you know, Donnie was of someone whose family has been here since the late 1700s. it was one of the original families that settled this town. He had a great deal of respect from the rest of the community here. You know, the skiers and the people that came later appreciated him and appreciated his farm and what he did there. That being said, farming is brutal. It's a tough way to make a living, especially dairy farming, which is what most of the farms around here are. What's really amazing about this community as opposed to some of the other quote-unquote tourists communities. And we certainly consider ourselves a touristy place at some level, but we're really proud of the fact that our farmers have really adapted. While there is a a traditional dairy farmer who's still around here, most of them are doing a lot of value-added products, you know, like Von Trapp Farm, where they are not only growing or or raising uh, dairy cows, but they are producing world-class cheese there and selling you know, other products like, you know, they're they're raising beef, they're raising pork, they're raising local vegetables and local maple syrup and, and all of that. And the farms that are doing that here are being successful by changing their business models. And there's young farmers coming into the industry. And it's what's really valuable about that is not only is it great for us because we get wonderful local food, and we don't have the supply chain issues that a lot of places have, the Matter Valley has been the home was doing farm-to-table food long before it became cool. These farms are not only important because of their food production, but they're also important because they keep the land open and they keep the pastoral beauty of this area, which is why people come here to recreate. So it benefits us in many different ways and just adds so much texture to the fabric of our community.
0: We are unfortunately running out of time here, but I do have a quick Although it's probably not going to be a a quick answer, you mentioned that you're a touristy destination. Is it being gentrified? And if so, uh, how are you regulating that?
1: Just like so many rural communities around the country... The pandemic has rapidly increased the pace of people moving here. In some ways, that's great. We are the oldest state. We're the second oldest state in the country. Maine's older than us. So getting new families here is not necessarily a bad thing, but we have a tremendous housing crisis. Our people can't afford to stay here. Our children can't afford to stay here and live here, and there's limited job opportunities for them, so they feel the need to go away. Both of my kids were 22 and 24 years old have moved away to go to school and I don't think intend to come back anytime soon. It's tough. Our property values have increased dramatically and this is something, you know, it concerns us and it's just like it is in every other community like ours around Vermont and around New England and around the country um we're struggling with a lot of the same issues. But what I'm really proud of is the fact that I think the Mad River Valley will always look at things in a different way and we will solve our problems in the Mad River way, just like Mad River Glen, like whoever would have thought that saving the scary would, the co-op, no one ever would have thought that, but it happened here because the idea came about. And I am sure that our community is going to be creative and be engaging and create a Mad River way out of our situation and make sure that this community is protected and preserved one way or another.
0: Eric, you know, I have another half hour's worth of questions but uh, but uh, I know we, we had agreed on a certain amount of time. So I, I'd like to close our show with the theme song from Almost There, which was written and sung by Susie Brown, a practicing cardiologist who's pursuing a career in singing her own songs and playing the guitar. And Eric Friedman, I'd like to talk to you again sometime. I, I'm happy that you were able to take the time to speak with me. And... I hope to hear from you again real soon.
1: It was nice being with you, and I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: radio and i'm your host marshall this program was written and produced by marshall our theme music was played by ululation mr radio is available wherever you get your podcasts including itunes and spotify subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review and don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of mr radio
1: it's oh so near.